Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he's a guest that's about to see his website go right in the crapper, setting the pace is where you can find his work regarding the Pacers and the NBA. Alex Golden joins us. Hey, good luck with that thing after this appearance, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> what, what, what is that all about? I'm just curious. <laughs> What's that? I said I'm just curious what you're talking about. Oh, you weren't listening? Uh, not for a second. No, I, I listened uh, a little bit to what you were saying. No, 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 no. So I had on Mitch Hanna's, the Indiana State coach, and after I had him on, they immediately lost a game. So everybody was wow. saying how unlucky I am, and I said, okay, well, Alex Golden is coming on. It's much less effective the second time around here, Alex, truth be told. But I said, I'm having Alex on, and now his website's going to go in the crapper because he's on with me. So... Uh, you know what? Let's just say fingers crossed that we can flip this JMB. I feel it. All right. 6.8% tomorrow night in the NBA draft lottery. Will this thing, in your estimation, stay the same? Will they have some upward mobility? Will people be able to contact me on Wednesday and say, see, we told you there was a reason why we embraced those entertaining losses. What's your expectation tomorrow night? Yeah, my expectations as a Pacer fan are always to expect the worst outcome. Uh, I, I think that that's just kind of the nature of how things have been for me as a fan the last couple of years. But uh, I think what's really interesting is that where the Pacers are positioned at, at the seventh spot the last five seasons, the, the team that's been slotted at seven has moved up into the top four. So I, I just kind of wonder if they feel like there's good karma there with lucky number seven and there's a chance they can move up. But I think – while they did, you know, they did they did lose games on purpose or tried to lose games on purpose towards the end there a little bit by setting their guys. I think that at least for the majority of the season, they didn't just flat out give it away. So I feel like there's some good karma there with how they develop players and how they've gone about it. But, you know, it's slim chances to move up. But, you know, I think we have to be hopeful. And, and if we're not, then it is what it is. But I think you have to be at least a little bit hopeful going into it. You can't go in with a super negative outlook, but – I just I just don't ever expect the Pacers to get the nice things that I hope they deserve one day. All right, so let's say neighborhood of the seventh overall selection. You're eyeballing whom that will be in participation in this NBA combine ongoing. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be really interesting because there's a lot of ways this could go. Um, I think – I know you and Jake were talking about the Pacers definitely needing a wing, and I completely agree with that. And I, I think if you look at – who I have in my top eight. You've got Wimbanyama and Scoot and Brandon Miller in the top three, but the next five players are all power forward, small forward type of players. And I think that one name that really stands out to me is Taylor Hendricks from UCF. This is a kid that was their highest ranked recruit in college history. Ended up being their leading scorer with 15 points a game, shot about 40% from three. And he's a secondary rim protector with good athleticism. I think that this is someone that could fit in. I think he's going to have a little bit more work to do just because he is a little bit raw. But I do like the fact that he's got the height, got the wingspan, got the athleticism that I think this pitch team needs. And, and really, one thing I like about him is the shooting. So we know that if you have shooters spreading the floor, it's going to open up that lane for the pace a little bit more. So Taylor Hendricks at seven is a, is a name I'm keeping an eye on. But if Jarrett Walker from Houston falls there too, I think that that would be a really fun debate to determine between those two guys because Jarrett is, is more of a chiseled uh, a big guy down low that is like 240 pounds, seven foot two wingspan. He's more of a bruiser down low, um, but he is pretty quick on his feet and he can switch quite a bit as well. So I think that there's some potential there with him too. He's probably a little bit more polished as a prospect coming into the NBA, but I, I, I like both prospects a lot. I just don't know if uh, Jarrett will be there at seven. I think there's potential he could be, but I would say his floor is a lot higher where I think Kendrick might have a higher ceiling than Jairus Walker. 
Setting the pace, Salas Golden talking Pacers NBA draft lottery is coming up tomorrow night. We'll find out exactly the vicinity in which the Pacers will be a part of. Hey, listen, I dig the Thompson twins, but I'm talking about the 80s band here, not so much the guys that are going to be a part of this particular draft. What do you know about your era's Thompson twins? Yeah, great, great point there. I think there's a lot of question marks with these two. But one thing that I've heard from interviews that I've done going back to even the offseason last year is these guys have the mentality to do what it takes to be good basketball players, and they're not going to let anything phase them. And that's from people talking to them. They just said they got it up top. And I think a lot of young players don't have that. So why the OTE is a very interesting league, a lot of weird rules, a lot of uh, competition deficiency there compared to college and the G League. These two players, I think, are going to be good NBA players. Now, I don't know what their ceiling is, anything like that. I'm, I'm still trying to figure them out because I don't have a lot of tape on them. But if you're looking at a Min Thompson, this is a guy that a lot of people like in the top three, top four. And he was the point guard for overtime elite. I, I think he is a guy that could be a secondary playmaker for the Pacers that put him into their starting lineup if they did draft him. He's going to be the most athletic player in this draft, without a doubt. He's just a freak athlete. Um, very twitchy, so I think that there are a lot of good things to like about him, but he has zero shot, and I just wonder, to me, if that's going to be a problem for the Pacers of how they like to play, having someone on the perimeter that cannot shoot, and we've seen how much of a problem that can be in today's NBA when you just can't put the ball in the basket from outside. So he's going to have to really find a way to develop that shot, where his brother, on the other hand, is uh, not as athletic, but he's still really athletic, and he's a decent playmaker, not nearly the playmaker that his brother is, but he's got more of a solidified shot. He was uh, a star Thompson, was the MVP of the overtime elite. I think that he is a player that, given the right coaching, and I think continuing to work on a shot, he can become a good shooter from outside. Not saying great, but an, at least an average three-point shooter. So I think there's more scoring upside there with him, but I think with a men, Thompson, you're getting a better defensive player and another secondary playmaker. So there are good things to like about them, but I think that they're just going to have to take some time before they're ready to compete right away for a, for a playoff. Hey, Alex, three in round one, two in round two. What's your guesstimation here on how Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and company will handle these picks? Because he said in the season closer, that they were not going to utilize them all. How do you think they go about how trying to make this team better while also doing some things with these picks because clearly they're not going to need them all? Yeah, I think if there's someone they like that maybe falls out of the lottery in like that 15 to 20 range, maybe they try to package both those picks to move up, um, like 26 and 29, and it's a team that needs some picks. Like I look in that Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, Lakers range because those are teams that, yes, they're probably trying to win, but they also have uh, financial situations that they have to address as well, especially Golden State. And we know that their young players don't see a lot of playing time anyway, so if the Pacers were to say, hey, we'll package uh, a player on our team plus maybe pick 26 or pick 18 or 19, whatever they have, is that something that entices them to say, okay, maybe we can get somebody back that could help us and then still get a draft pick that's not going to cost as much salary-wise. So I think there's some things to look at there. But um, if they stay where they're at, I think they just have to look at continued depth at the four. I think that's where the best spot to look at is. Um, one player I, I had seen in that range for a while, but he's moving up quite a bit, is Leonard Miller. So I don't necessarily think he'd be available there. But I really like Leonard Miller's fit with the Pacers uh, from the G League Ignite, and I think that – He's someone that they could trade up for, but I also like Chris Murray from Iowa. This is going to be a name uh, that Pacer fans are familiar with, obviously playing in the Big Ten, but he's not nearly the, the defensive player that his brother is um, or the offensive player, but he's a good player. I think he would fit in right away. I think he's a smart guy, and those are two names I've been keeping an eye on as potential uh, players that could be like backup power forward, backup threes, just to kind of try to help get this Pacers team some depth at that much-needed wing position. Alex Golden from Setting the Pace. Before I let you go here, a lot has happened since the last time we talked, and obviously there's coaching movement. There's going to be some player movement because decisions will be made. Guys will go other places. So might you think because of what's transpired in this postseason, we might see anything that could interest the Pacers ending up shaking loose and giving them an opportunity that at the end of the regular season, Alex, we didn't think they had. 
great question. I mean, I, I feel like there is going to be a lot of moves this this offseason. I feel like a lot of teams felt like they were uh, they were a little bit underwhelmed in the playoffs because they just weren't able to perform. And you see a team like Miami, a team that everybody counted out. Now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals as the eighth seed. A lot of people firing coaches. Does that open up roster spots for teams to move off of players? I just feel like there's going to be a lot of shakeups this year, and it's going to be fascinating to see how everything plays out. I think if the Pacers are smart, they know, in my opinion right now, that they're not ready to be title contenders, deep playoff contenders. They want to get to the playoffs. So I think you'll see more of a, hey, if we have an opportunity to step in and maybe – be a part of a three-team trade? Do they do they take on a bad contract to also take on a, a potential young player? Uh, a name that comes to mind is someone like Jonathan Kaminga from Golden State who's really not happy with not getting playing time. Yep. Uh, would they be willing to try to get involved in a three-team trade there? I think there's little ways that they could try to get themselves into something without getting themselves too stuck with bad contracts. I mean, maybe take on one, but not a, not a super bad one. Or, or they could look at different opportunities just to kind of bolster the roster because I, I think that they need to get it a little bit better, obviously, to continue to compete. But at the same time, you don't want to mortgage some of your really young players that you're developing and, and trying to make pivotal parts of the team to be like we used to be a tough out. So I think you got to still be slow with your process and trying to acquire the right players. But um, I think one thing we've noticed about this Pacers front office is they're very opportunistic when the right time comes. Uh, Alex Golden setting the pace, talking Pacers NBA and the NBA draft lottery coming up tomorrow night via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll get back in touch with you once some things kind of shake out a little bit more where we can take even more educated guesses at what they may end up doing here in the offseason. Man, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll do it again here real soon. Alex, thank you. Yeah, no problem. And real quick, I just wanted to say Mr. Pibb is what I would pick over Dr. Pepper. Just throwing it out there. I'm a Mr. Pibb guy. I think it's a little bit, uh, it's kind of more of a spicy cherry compared yeah. to Dr. Pepper, which is very sweet. Um, but I don't know if you know this or not, but Dr. Pepper is actually with Set It Up. They're not part of Pepsi-Cola. Oh, Pepsi they're not They're not part of Pepsi-Cola. Yeah, you know what? You're right. No. They are with 7-Up now. I guess that original yeah. roster, though, was hard to beat. Like, like Coca-Cola yeah. was number one, but Pepsi had the best supporting cast then. But you're right about that 7-Up. Well done. Yeah. I worked at a gas station for a while, and I learned about the ins and outs of all that with stocking them just because, you know, you find out stupid stuff like that. It was more of a uh, 7-Up couldn't handle as much uh, all the Dr. Pepper that was being made and manufactured, so they basically contracted Pepsi to deliver it for them. So that's kind of an interesting Well done right there. Look at the knowledge you're dropping on this show, just beyond the Pacers and the NBA. Well yeah. done, Alice Golden. Well done, brother. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, team owner, driver, future 500 winner, friend of the show, Fox 59 colleague every Sunday night, Ed Carpenter is front and center. Hello, Ed. How you doing? Good afternoon, John. How are we doing? You know, the ratings, and I feel bad for the competitors television-wise on Sunday because with that double-barrel action that Hagen has with you and I, those other stations that do sports have zero chance. None. Yeah, I think we've been winning it for a while now. I couldn't believe last night when he, he showed me a picture that we've been doing that 10 years now. Like, <laughs> And you, like, look the same, by the way. You look exactly the Hardly. same. Like, completely the Hardly. same. Well, that's, that's awfully kind of you. Well, it's not out of kindness. I think, it, I, I mean, it kind of pisses me off is what it does, but it's true. I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I have a little less hair. You have a little more hair, so <laughs> well, I've got, I'm, I'm trying to figure things out as I go along. You know, it's kind of yeah, I've got to just I know where I can replenish. I think I'm going to be I'm going to have yeah, all new parts by the time I'm 60, Ed. True. Well, you got to just tune up as need be. How you feeling? Uh, I feel good. Really, really looking forward to tomorrow. Hopefully, hopefully it stays dry enough for us to get some work in and. Ready to kick off another month of May Indy 500 prep. We had a, a really good open test three weeks ago or so, however long ago it was. Um, so that I felt like we had a good start there and just ready to continue it and get prepared for next weekend. You know, when, when it rains out there and practice is postponed, we kind of go, okay, well, practice is postponed. 
how much, if at all, does it screw with you guys in preparation when you miss a day, when there's an opportunity to be out there and then because of the weather, you can't do it? It really just depends. Like if we've, if we're in a good spot and are pretty happy with what we've got, I don't mind missing some days just because it's, it gives your competitors less time to, to figure things out or get happy. Um, so th- there's times where I don't mind having a day off. Uh, you know, there's other years where you want every minute possible that you can get. So, um, you know, and then on top of that, it, days are, they, days can be long when it's not like you're not sure how long it's going to rain or if we're going to get back out again. And then there's a lot of hurry up and wait sitting around and then, you either get out for a little bit or they call it off. So those those make for long days. So if it's going to rain, I just assume it rains, and then I can go pick my kids up from school or something. So Ed Carpenter, team owner and driver, ECR. That's Ed Carpenter Racing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So how do you size up your squad here going into what really is now the month of May and going into the 107th running of the 500? you like what you got there? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a pretty good spot. We were fairly strong last year. We qualified decent. Reynos and I were third and fourth and ran up front a good part of the day. But, you know, Ganassi kind of had everyone whooped last year. So we've got to go out and, and catch up to those guys. They're they're the, the team to beat still right now until someone else proves it otherwise for, for the Speedway. So just got to... They don't have a target on their car anymore, but they've got a target on their back, so ready to ready to go chase them down. You uh, does it make you better when when there's no no changes? When you got the same, when you have that continuity, is it like with your race team, like what we would see, you know, in basketball, you know, or a stick and ball sport like that? The continuity in a team, how much does that matter? Um, I mean it helps somewhat just because every you know, we know everyone's comfortable with with our baseline, you know, set up for the car and, and whatnot and we kind of all speak the same language. So there there's positives, you know, there there's positives that when you have new guys come in as well, just because you may get a different perspective or, or learn something new from wherever they've been before. Um it goes it goes both ways, but you know, we've got a good group. Um for for Indy, you know, Renus I think Indy's probably been one of his strongest tracks, and and same with Connor. He's performed well, especially in the race the past couple of years. So, you know, I, I feel like we've got we've got three really good cars with with our Bitnile.com machines, and we're going to go give it everything we got. You mentioned Ed Carpenter. Ed Carpenter Racing's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The the picture, and I saw this Hagen sent it out of of you guys ten years ago compared to to you guys last night when you made. I think that was your debut, was it not? On fifty nine last night, was that your first one? Yep that was that was first one of the month. Um, how much have you changed? Not in in terms of you know less hair or maybe a little bit more gray, but how much have you changed as a driver and as a a team owner? Um, I mean, you get, you know, you get more comfortable at some level of it. You, you, you know, I think you have more knowledge and wisdom and more experience, uh, more perspective. You know, I probably for sure have more patience than I did 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And like you said, definitely a little grayer, a little thinner on t- on the head. And well, I could help you out about, with that. I could help you out if you want right. to reach out. And probably about six pounds heavier than I was back then, yeah. which isn't all that bad for, for ten years. No, it's not. No, that that's the part that pisses me off right there. Barrier. So, I've got to work hard at it, man. It definitely doesn't get easier, but I, I still enjoy that part of it as well. I um, I was just thinking too, in in terms of in and just with Ed, this race in particular. I mean, so many battles. You've been close. Other times, maybe not so close. Has your, your your vantage point with this in mind changed at all? I mean, obviously you say that you, you've got more patience, but what else have you added over this 10-year this span with those those near misses, the not-so-near misses, and where you are as both a driver and a team owner right now? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the good years and the bad years are – are motivational and, and educational. You know, you learn from your successes and your failures. 
Um, you know, there's been years where we just weren't strong enough as a team. There's been years where I didn't perform to to the level that that I expect to myself. So. You, you just you just put all that in the bank and you know try to become a better better driver and and better leader out of it and you know just keep pushing for it but i definitely don't ever get discouraged from any of that at least not you know once 48 hours or so have passed but um yeah just try to just try to learn from everything both good and bad and keep coming back at it What's uh, more difficult? Is it the business aspect of it or the driving aspect of it that you have, especially with this race? And I guess with the business side, Ed, it's in terms of, you know, securing sponsorships, maintaining secured sponsorships and stuff that, you know, people that, that, that are fans probably really don't take into consideration so much. What's more time consuming for you with all that in mind? I mean, over the course of the, the whole year, by far, you know, the, the team ownership side is, is more challenging and more stressful, you know, at, at times as a driver, you know, obviously the, the stress level can be off the charts, but it, it's different. You know, I mean, when thinking about the business, you know, we've got 50 employees now. So, you know, for me, you know, I, I when, when there's any struggle or question mark, you know, it's, I've got 50 employees and their families that, that weigh on you. Um, you know, when it comes to the racetrack part, you know, I'm, I'm disappointing myself and maybe my, my sponsors when, when it doesn't go well. So I feel a lot more pressure and, and anxiety on the business side of things at times than, than the driving, you know, the driving part is fun you know it's it, it can it can be stressful it's challenging but at the end of the day it's still fun we get to go out and drive awesome race cars around at over 230 miles an hour so if you can't find the fun in that there's something wrong with you is um is it an easy sell for well an advertiser a company to be a part of your race team before the indy 500 is that an easy sell or is it still difficult to do i mean indy's definitely easier than anything else and probably easier now than really any time in my career. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's still a hard sell as a whole, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much competition, you know, just in, in sports and marketing and, you know, you, you know, firsthand just how much, you know, media and the way people consume their sports and entertainment has changed. So, you know that that part of it i think is is a continual challenge just because there's there's more and more competition and there's there's constantly a new league or new sport that's that's coming around so it's you know it's been harder but i don't think it's ever going to be easy you um you have a finish line as a driver age wise or do you just no. feel it out every year yeah i mean you know i guess for me it when when I feel like I'm a I'm a liability to my team, then I'll stop. Um, you know, I still feel like I bring value that I'm fast enough and have the ability to go out and compete for an Indy 500 win. So as long as that holds true, I don't see any reason to stop. You know, it. I, I transitioned from a full-time driver to just running ovals after the 2013 season, and it was frankly just because the team was better than I was on road courses. That wasn't my history. And, you know, I guess it wasn't a hard transition or really that part of a process to make that decision. So I think it'll feel the same way when, when my time's up on, on the oval side of things, but I still feel like I bring a lot to the team and, and to our partners. And, you know, I really do feel like I've got a, as good of a chance of winning the race this month as there's anyone else, else out there. So as long as I have those feelings and, you know, I know I can be honest with myself because I've done it before that I'll know when it's time. I'm, that's been 10 years since you made that decision. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm old. I, I don't know. know. Yeah. I mean, I am too. I, I just, it doesn't seem like it's been, been that long and you're right. I mean, you are, and you have been honest with yourself uh, will that make 
you know, the ultimate decision to make when you step away, will that make it easier or is it still going to be as, as difficult? Because I give you credit for that because, you know, not a lot of people would be able, there's no way I could do that. I'd say, no, I'm going to keep on going, keep on going. But you made that decision. You made the decision really, you know, right there in, in the sweet point of, of your racing career. Um, is it going to be tougher to do that when you just, you know, step away for real when to know that it's time? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it will be at a certain level just because, you know, when I made that decision, I knew that I wasn't done racing, you know, like full go. Um, I was still going to be competing in the 500, which is my main motivator. Um, So I'm sure it'll be harder when I know that I'm not going to race an IndyCar again or not run the 500 again. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, when you get to the point to make that decision that, you know, my my intentions are and and ever since we started the race team in 2012 was for that to be you know my life after driving and you know i'm really blessed that i'm still able to do both and you know when the time comes that that i'm not driving anymore hopefully i'll get enough satisfaction from still being involved and and running the team and you know i'm sure when when may comes around and other guys are are getting to go run laps at indy i'll I'll be jealous. I don't know that any driver ever wants to stop, especially that race. But, you know, all of our time comes to an end at some point, and you just have to accept reality and and create a new normal. Does it make it tougher when, like, great example with Tony Kanaan. And you think that's difficult just doing a one-off. And we've seen this before. Juan Pablo Montoya, one-off. Others have done, like, one-off. And you're not one-off. I mean, you just, you know, do the oval. But does that make it more difficult as a driver? Do you think it would if you were just a one-off driver for the 500? It can be, and I think some. You know, a lot of it depends on the situation too. You know, I'm I'm fully ingrained in our team and engineers sure. all the time. Even even though I'm not driving, you know, I for sure think it would be harder if you just came into if you weren't connected to the team and and weren't a part of the you know the day to day and all the other events. And, and and there's there's some challenges of not being in the car as much of other guys, but you know, that's, that's one of the great things about the Indianapolis 500 is the amount of track time and practice that we get. And, you know, the way the lead up is to the event, it really allows, gives everyone the opportunity to, to get fully comfortable and, and back, back in the groove. So I'm sure for some guys, it's tough for me. I've been in this rhythm for 10 years now, so it's, it's pretty normal, you know, and I'm, mentally and physically prepared for it so i don't think it's that big of a deal do you like what roger penske's doing with the overall product uh i do i mean you know i think they're they're definitely putting a lot of effort into it and you know i don't know if you've seen the the new series on the cw network that they've been doing following our races but that's going really well you know, and I know Penske Entertainment was in, instrumental in making that happen. So, you know, they're they're pushing really hard. You know, we've had such a great product for a long time, and you know, haven't been able to convert that into as as many new fans as we'd hope. But there, there's a ton of positives and a ton of momentum. And even at the Grand Prix this last weekend, I thought it was a great crowd and, yeah, and too. Up from previous years. So there's definitely momentum, um, you know, but you just got to be patient. It doesn't, you don't go from zero to a hundred overnight all the time. And so, you know, yeah, I'm happy with it. I think, I think, you know, Roger's clearly a successful guy about everything he touches is successful. So, you know, happy to have him at the helm and, you know, and more importantly, he, he understands, you know, how special this event is and, you know, has carried on the stewardship that, that, you know, my father and, and his grandfather had the responsibility of before that. How's Heather? Heather's doing great. I haven't seen her since this morning, but um, <laughs> she's running around with He's our daughter ass- somewhere. Assume and, she's doing um, great, yeah. I'm sitting in a parking lot about to watch a lacrosse practice. It's it's kind of my last night of co-parenting ah. and being involved. After tonight, I'm pretty well disconnected from other than saying hi to the kids in the morning. Now you uh you got lacrosse players now, do you? Yeah, I've got one rider our middle plays yeah. lacrosse. Yep, yeah, so it's, we're lacrosse. Where are you guys at Zionsville? No, we live in Washington Township, so he's oh. actually he plays on a team called the Saints. It's kind of like a 
group of Catholic schools. So we're practicing at Arsenal Park, kind of a 46 in college and okay. play all over the place. But yeah. Why did I think you we lived in Zionsville? Zionsville? I thought you lived in Zionsville. I don't know. Weird. Just stereotyping, I guess. I don't, I don't know. know anything. I rarely know anything whatsoever. I do know this, though, that me and you with Chris Hagan on Sunday night, that no other sports shows have a chance. That's got to be concerning yeah, for them, don't I mean, you think? It, they should be concerned. You know, I'm I'm friends with all the local guys, but I know. You know, I really enjoy I really enjoy Chris and and all the work that we've done together. But yeah, you 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 guys have to connect and maybe see if we can all get on that red couch together versus you coming on <laughs> later in the segment. See, that's one thing that's the pandemic's fun. done, buddy. It's given me the opportunity not to have to go in there. Well, I have to go in, so you can bite the bullet one night. <laughs> When's uh, so when are you allowed to drink? You can't drink again until when? I mean, I don't, I I don't really drink hardly at all in the season. I usually break down once we get the boat on the water at some point in the summer and have a couple cheat weekends. Okay, but, you know, I, it's kind of been my routine to just shut it down for the season and prove to myself that I can and. Um, so yeah. Well, if you win, I go, I go, I go pretty boring from January one till the end of the season. And then I try to make up for it from there through the holidays. If you win, we will do a special remote and I, I you let me get you drunk. Okay. Well, yeah. If you win, yeah. If you win, would yeah. you do that? I mean, if you win, if you win the 107th, then that would be a special situation where you come out yeah, to my remote and I get you drunk. There's going to be a party for sure. Several. <laughs> several parties. All right. We'll do this again next week, man. It was a pleasure. It was great seeing you yesterday. It was a surprise. I had no idea. I was getting set up from Owen County doing that outside, and uh, all of a sudden, there you were, man. It was great to see you. Yeah, you had a nice backdrop. It looked good. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it's always a good time down there. I do that a couple of different times a year, especially on Mother's Day like that. But, hey, I appreciate you. We'll do it again next week. You know who we root for around here. So that never changes. I know, and, yeah, and I hope it doesn't. All right, buddy. I appreciate you yeah, dropping in. And, I'll talk to you next week. Enjoy lacrosse, too. I'll talk at you next week. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, because my man is in a big hurry. He's got a game to cover later on tonight. We have a, an MLB, a Reds debut happening at shortstop. Covers the Reds for MLB.com and been doing so and at a very high level for a long time. Mark Sheldon is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hello, Mark. How are things in Cincinnati? Doing great. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm in Colorado. It's a beautiful day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Things in Cincinnati are great, but Colorado is okay here. Um, I was yeah. going to ask you this. Are the Reds better than what a lot of us thought? And listen, I need four games under 500, whatever. But it appears at times then they're a lot better than I want to, like, schlep rock them in descriptive terms uh, regarding around here in Indianapolis. Can that be said? I think they're definitely a lot better than last season. Uh, I think they're better than what a lot of people predicted. But there's obviously some things that they're doing that are not necessarily the recipe for success. You know, they haven't uh, had a great starting pitching. They've had to use their bullpen way too much, although they perform well, and their infield defense has been not very good. But they, they are, they're, they're showing a lot of tenacity. They're, they're, they're playing those close games. They're winning one-run games. So a lot of things that they couldn't do last year, and they definitely have a chemistry as a team that they certainly didn't have last year when they basically unloaded all the veterans off the, off the team in the middle of spring training in March, and they never really had a cohesive field of the team in 2022. So I think there's a lot of things that are working in their favor. There's some things they need to button up in order to kind of stay where they are. So Mark Sheldon with us. I, I think they can be fun to watch, too. Now, obviously, when you win and maybe surprise in that capacity, uh, the fun kind of comes along with it. But it can be a fun team to watch at times, both offensively and defensively, just not so much as you mentioned in the starting pitching variety. Yeah, it's definitely a fun team. One of the things that's interesting with that, this team, although they kind of fixed that in, in, in Miami, was they were winning uh, games without hitting many home runs. They're scoring a lot of runs without hitting home runs, which is a, a very anti-red <laughs> thing when they're in Great American Ballpark. So it's it's been a uh, it's been interesting to watch them string together big rallies, find ways to win. Yeah. 
come back from you know games that they probably weren't you know given much of a chance to be in because they were they were behind early and they they are definitely a, a fun team to watch. One thing that's different is that these guys that are here for several of them are you know expected to be around for a little while, not just stopping through because they're a, a live body, kind of like what happened last year. They were calling up a lot of guys last year that. They probably didn't want to, but they didn't have any, you know, because of injuries, because of the trades, they didn't have a real cohesive team last year. So Mark Sheldon writes about the Reds, MLB.com, also covers, you know, basically MLB in general, but certainly uh, the Central and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is there any team comparison in recent memory, especially young kind of growing together where there's a lot unknown with maybe an average fan, a fan of the Reds, a fan of baseball? Is there a, a Reds team comparison of the past you've covered that may be adequate comparing it to this particular team, Mark? It's a little hard to say, but I, I would guess if I had to pick one, you know, you kind of saw 2010 as a team. You know, they were, you know, they had Dusty Baker as a manager, and he certainly wanted to win, and they were aiming to win, but it, it took a couple years. And, and, you know, they had called up some younger players a couple of years ago. Before that, like, you know, Jay Bruce, Joey Votto, uh, those guys were coming up, and they hadn't started clicking yet until 2010. They had a lot of losing seasons. Uh, and I remember going into that year, not a whole lot was expected of that team, and, and they certainly maybe surprised a lot of people and ended up winning the division and going to the playoffs. And I, I think that was a much better team, but I, I still think that this team is still not a lot of people are seeing it because it, it's reflected in the attendance. I think a lot of people, because of last year, aren't seeing what's going on. I, I, you know, the, comment, the comments I get on social media still kind of reflect the feelings of last year, and I think some people are missing out on, on some fun baseball. I think with the the speed of the play with the time, you know, the pitch timer and, and some other, you know, the rules that are in effect, there just seems to be more on the field that's, that's happening. That's fun. And, and this team seems to have adapted well to that, the, the new rules. So Mark Sheldon with us, what do you think about the new rules? And I'll be honest with you, Mark, I enjoy it. I, I do. I, I, I didn't think I would. I'm old school, kind of old curmudgeon fart guy, but I kind of dig it. I dig it too. I think it's, especially the timer. What, the one thing that I don't get when people complain about it is like, well, I love the timeless feel of baseball, but, you know, when you love the timeless feel of baseball in the old days, those games were being played in two hours and ten minutes. If you look at the time of games from the 60s, the 70s, and even the 80s, uh, it, it, it was all the games were under three hours. And now, with the, you know, the plethora of pitching changes with more commercial breaks, with you know, all sorts of strategy going on and, and, and just mound visits, it, it's just not a game that can be played under three hours very much anymore. Uh, and the new rules tighten up all the, the nonsense. There's no checking out of the batter's box to adjust your helmet and your batting gloves. The pitcher can't uh, hold his glove and rub the ball for two hours. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much better brand of baseball. It's definitely more like old-school baseball than, than, than we've seen just because the game is moving. There's less dead time. I think it's great. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, you know, I was discouraged by it, Mark, at the beginning. But watching games, especially the visual and not having to sit there for what feels like five and six hours, even if it's not, just makes it more enjoyable. It really does. It does. And I think this will be a test here in Colorado with all the offense that is probably going to happen in this park. There's a lot of crooked numbers that are on the in big rallies that come ha- that happen here. A lot of comebacks. The Reds have had a bad run of games over the recent history out here. So it could push the three hour mark, but I'll be out. This will be a good test for the pitch timer and, and really how it plays. I've been through some games that, wow, it felt long. And then you find out it was only two hours and 50 minutes. So I think it'll be pretty cool to see how it, how the timer in Colorado mixed together. Yeah, it seemed like Colorado and uh, Bryce Harper and the Phils had uh, an almost sweet little dust-up yesterday, too, playing yeah, sure off of that. Like yeah, uh, I don't know what exactly happened, I'll be honest with you, but I saw the, the highlights, and yeah, it looked pretty uh, pretty good and intense, and, <laughs> and uh, I guess the Phillies are getting out of town at the right time, so that won't continue. <laughs> Uh, Mark Sheldon with us. Before I let you go, I know you get to run here in a couple of minutes. Uh, this how you felt, especially with Pittsburgh being, what now, three games over 500 or so, where the Cardinals currently are in the cellar. How upside down is the Central compared to what you thought it was going to be to this point? Completely. Uh, I really thought the Cardinals were going to be the, the, the kind of the, the pick for the Central, followed by the Brewers and Cubs, the Reds and Pirates, and, and it is upside down. But I think one of the beauties of the 162-game schedule as long as it is, the, the, the cream does rise to the top. You, you, you can't pretend. You know, a team cannot pretend all the way through the season. If there are holes, they will be exploited. If there are weaknesses, they will be found. Uh, and, and, and good teams will always rally to, to where they need to be. So when, whatever the, wherever it plays out is how it's supposed to be at the end of the season. There won't be any tricks or any 
you know, you know, smoke and fog or anything like that. So it's, it'll, I'll be curious what the Pirates are at the end of the year. I'll be curious what the Cardinals are at the end of the year. Well, it always, I think it'll be different. Yeah, I, mean, I hate the Cardinals. It always pisses me off because it inevitably in September, you know, late, mid, late August, here they go. You want to throw dirt on them, and there they are. Yeah, I know they've won three straight, but it, it looks like that. The struggles were legit, and and not so much just a slow start. It kind of looked like that they just had issues on that team, at least until the last three wins. They do have issues. Obviously, the catching situation is uh, not what they wanted with Contreras, and they aren't pitching well generally. They've been banged up. They definitely don't look like the the team that everyone raves about over the years. It hasn't been the very Cardinal-like team in general, but I, I, you know, I, I would be surprised if they sit in last place uh, for very long. I think they'll, they'll find a way. Yeah. With, uh, with, with Contreras and the Cardinals, you put that mixture together and I'm pretty happy that there is a failure going on right there. So at least as a red surprising that they signed them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's true. Yeah. Before I let you go, one final thing, uh, is this the type of team that can grow and put behind for Reds fans, uh, those, those memories and how they feel about ownership right now? Is that possibility loom or is that simply marked there and since never going to happen? I think they, it will have a good chance to happen. I can't promise anything, but I think, you know, you're seeing it today. You've seen it during spring training. They've, they've been going with the young players. They're bringing them up. Matt McLean's the, the latest one to come up. At some point, Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand and Andrew Abbott will be here. Uh, you're seeing the pipeline. They made a lot of shrewd trades, all those terrible, you know, tough trades that they were making. They weren't terrible trades, but they were tough to make. Uh, and a lot of popular players were, were, were sent, sent out. But some of these players that are being brought back, you're starting to see them come up now. And so plus you add them with the players that are already in the system. And you're, this is a chance for to build something. And, you know, maybe it won't happen this year. Maybe they'll have a better year than people thought. But I think in the next couple of years, you're going to start seeing things come together, possibly. If, if you know, no injuries and no problems, et cetera. But right now they have a lot to be excited about going forward. Hey, if this could happen to the Bengals, then holy hell, Mark. I mean, you've been around Cincy long enough, and it certainly should be able to happen to the Reds. Well, the Bengals and Reds are never good at the same time, it seems like. It seems like when one's up, the other's down. So I haven't seen it in a long time when both teams are uh, in the playoffs and having a great time. So that would be great for the city if, uh, if you know, that both teams are good and FC Cincinnati's good. I think that would be great if, you know, there's a lot of, you know, excitement about the professional sports teams. Hey, man, I appreciate you jumping on here. We'll get you on some other time over the course of the summer when you have a little bit more time, too. But uh, enjoy the set out in Colorado with the Reds and the Rockies, and we'll get back with you soon, Mark. Thank you for the time. All right, take care. Thank you. Mandy Moore, Automotive Group Pileline, a great call, along with his colleagues on the IMS Radio Network on Saturday for that aforementioned GMR Grand Prix, won by Alex Polo, Jake Query. He does join us. All right, i got to ask you a really serious question here. You ready? Yep. If I put two cans in front of you, one was Dr. Pepper, the other was Mr. Pibb, which one would you drink first? Uh, Mr. Pibb. Based on the nostalgia of it, now I will say that I am a diet soft drink drinker, yeah. and I believe Diet Dr. Pepper is the closest facsimile it is. there is to the legit. But when I was a kid, I don't know when Mr. Pibb came about, but I was a huge Mr. Pibb fan when I was a kid. And then there's the Pibb Extra, which I think the marketing leads me to believe is more caffeinated. I have no idea if it is or not. But I would go with Mr. Pitt. You ever notice that Coca-Cola, even when they fouled everything up in 1985 and then doubled back, they still had the king of the soft drinks, yet Pepsi-Cola always had the better supporting cast. That's a that's a really good point. Damn I, straight. I agree with that. Although Sprite <laughs> was pretty solid, right? Did you say that? But I would but, say uh, this. I think Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew would still far surpass anywhere sprite can go and then you really you really fall off the ledge after sprite i'm i'm truthfully and i have nothing against it but i'm a little stunned that mellow yellow is still around yeah. like who would opt for a mellow yellow when mountain dew is right there Yeah, that's that's a problem right there so you know it's kind of like long john silvers like i i mean it's cool that they're still there but i'm like I, who? well that's why sierra there? mist changed their name is because who would say yeah give me that sierra mist or whatever that starry is now instead of a sprite everybody's going to say sprite right so yeah i 
Now, who made – who was Slice? Um, who made that? Was that Coca-Cola. That, so that was a rival to 7-Up, obviously, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah it's, I, 7-Up I, I, seven up gets completely lost now. It was it used to be all over the place. Now it's nowhere. Where is it? 7-Up. And diet seven up. I only think of it now as when when I have a like when I'm sick. <laughs> right? so like, chicken noodle well, seven up. I used to my when I first <clears throat> turned twenty one or maybe prior to when I first had my fake ID, uh, my my order was a seven and seven every time. I went with the seven and seven every time. I haven't thought about it since, but then I would. You know, for a brief period. About 2004 or 2005, 7-Up made a caffeinated, which they would never do. Remember, caffeine never had it, never will. But they made a caffeinated version called, it was 7-Up Upside Down. So it basically looked like it was D-N-L. It was 7-Up spelled upside down, and it was green, and I absolutely loved it. They then rebranded that as a as a drink called Surge, which had a short lifespan as well. And I absolutely loved both of them. And then, like everything else, yep. once I really like it, then they take it away. Take it away. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. It's uh, Jake Query, The Morning Show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings. That is 7 until 10 a.m. on The Fan. The reason why I brought that up is I have my Mr. Pibb shirt on today, and I thought, I wonder if I said a Mr. Pibb and a Dr. Pepper out there, which one that you would choose. I would bet 7 out of 10, easy would choose Dr. Pepper unless it was about what you mentioned, nostalgia. So that was a good yeah. good answer. I mean, Mr. Pibb to me, when I think of like beverages of my probably pre-kindergarten age, I think that were a real treat. Mr. Pibb is one and Chocola is the other. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I come from the, you know, Big Red or nothing. Big Reds, you know, in soda machines where I'm from down there. You know, another question somebody had asked and I actually answered um, it, if there was an athlete out there that you could say in, in history, all right, this athlete, uh, no injuries whatsoever, who would it be? No injuries in the career whatsoever, or at least would well, not have their, their career sidetracked. I said Bo Jackson. I think that's yeah, easy. I mean, I saw your tweet on that, and I, I, I don't know. I, I know we've discussed this before. Absolutely, Bo Jackson. And I think it's and, – and listen, I think that we have a, a tendency – just as humans to romanticize or embellish things retroactively. And I don't know that you can do that for Bo Jackson. When it is legitimately true to say that Bo Jackson may have ended up in the hall of fame in both sports. Now in baseball, you know, he, he was a, a good hitter. I think he was like a two sixty hitter, but he had power, but his fielding range and his arm in the outfield were almost unprecedented. In football, he left with the highest single, you know, yards per carry average in the history of the league as a running back. Um, it, and I absolutely loved him. I mean, he was—he just went out and played. You know, he was a—he did the commercials, which were fabulous, but you didn't hear a lot about him. He was a quiet guy. He had the speech impediment. I, that would be one for certain. Now, uh, you know, I didn't see Gail Sayers, but everybody who does, who who did, says that he was like just unbelievable he would certainly be in that mix um i'll go one further uh and i'll just do it to localize and we've talked about this guy before john he's not on the level of those guys i get it but there is a reason and whenever i say this people absolutely kill me for it and that's cool there's a reason the pacers committed so much time energy and patience to jonathan bender and jonathan bender who never got a chance to fully show what he could do they were so intrigued by him because he would have been a precursor to Kevin Durant. I'm not saying he would have been as dominant as Kevin Durant in his prime, but Bender was a seven-footer who had guard-like skills, and that was unprecedented in that time when he came into the NBA, but his knees prohibited him from ever being able to fully show it. So if you took Bo Jackson off the table in this game, I will take Jonathan Bender. Some people said Clark Kellogg here. Not bad. I mean, really good player, undoubtedly. Really good player. When, when did uh, when did he make that transition? When was he done? Because I, for some reason, I thought if if Clark Kellogg goes uninjured and continues to produce, are the the Pacers in a similar situation as they ended up in in what nineteen eighty eight to draft Reggie Miller? 
87 to draft Reggie Miller? They drafted Reggie in 87. Yeah. Clark Kellogg, I think, you know, his his issues, he and, you know, and I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you another one who is a really good player that doesn't get enough credit, but injuries did him in was Steve Stepanovich. Stepanovich was a serviceable player. It's probably a better way of saying it. But Kellogg and Stepo both, you know, their careers were, were pretty impeded by injuries. It's interesting because if Kellogg had never had the knee problems, would they have drafted Chuck Person, for example, in 86? Probably because a little bit different position. But then that probably slides yeah. Person primarily to like the th- the two, three, almost entire. I mean, he never played the four, but it probably slides Person down to the point where then I don't know that they draft Reggie. I, I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree with that, yes. So that's a, that's a whole different – that's an interesting – that's a really interesting question. And I do think that Kellogg is one that people forget about how good he was here because it was a brief window i did not know that he had his own shoe deal the special k from converse and and he he obviously he signed an endorsement deal um and he played three full seasons i don't know if i ever saw his shoe did you ever see his special k converse shoe i i do not recall it i don't either converse. it's vaguely familiar but you know when i think of converse and again this would have been two to three years after his prime but when I think about Converse, I think of, of course, the, the Converse weapon with, and I can still tell you, the Converse weapon athletes would have been Isaiah, Mark Aguirre, yeah. um, obviously Bird, and Magic. I mean, yeah. those were the big ones, right? Uh, Bernard King was a part of that group, too. Bernard King, that's yeah. right. Yep. Remember the commercial Yep. You know where they all are doing the, the little song, and then Bird, you know, I walked away with the MVP. I mean, that was legendary times, man. And and North Carolina wore the Converse weapons because they had the baby blue Converse weapons, and that's what we, in 1987, that's what we at the Eastwood basketball team all wore, except for me because Lloyd Flurry was not going to pay that amount of money for tennis. Yeah, and some of the worst shoes of all time to play basketball in, by the way, too. That's why these guys guys have to be better athletes because they played in the crappiest shoes that we all still love to this day. I mean, every one of them, basically. I, I talked about it. Elijah Wan doing the Dream Shake in a tonics. I would almost rather play barefoot than playing in his atonic shoes then. They were that bad. Well, John, <laughs> I bought a pair of Bo Jackson's like five years – well, it's more than that, like five, seven years ago because I always wanted a pair, never had a pair. Finally bought myself a pair. They are the most uncomfortable shoes ever. I'm sitting here staring at them right yeah. now. They're like that. I have that, a pair of Adidas Top 10s, and a pair of Jordan Retro 3s that are just sitting there because I want to say I own them, but I never wear them. Same with the Barclays. I got 92 Barclays there, too, and uh, they're they're terrible. Jake Quare, the morning show, was with us. 6.8 chance at getting up to number one. The Pacers have had good fortune. Um, and we're going to find out coming up tomorrow night whether it is going to be, well, this is where we thought they were going to be drafting, I think, at, at seventh overall. Or I guess some people could come at me, Jake, on Wednesday and say, see, I told you there was a reason why we all love the entertaining losses because I got sick and tired of that. I mean, I got, truth be told, sick and tired of hearing about people telling me how entertaining a loss was and hoping they would lose and be entertaining until the fourth and then gag up a win. I hated that, but we'll find out coming up on Tuesday night going into Wednesday whether or not there was a a reason and why a lot of fans had a good judgment with that, I guess. Well, I think they have a little bit of flexibility in, in where they're drafting, and I'll tell you why. You know, there are there are two things that cause you to obviously be drafting high. One is you're in, you're terrible and you're in total rebuild mode. The other is you're young and you're still learning your way. They fall into the latter group and they have players. Tyrese Halliburton's a player. Benedict Matherin's a player and going to be a better player. Nimhard is a nice player. I like Miles Turner a great deal. I know you do as well. They have one glaring piece and that is a wing defender and an, in a, a, a scorer on the wing. And so because they so they're not in the position to go best player available and thus try to be as high up as possible. They simply need the best wing available. And I don't know how many there are in this draft, but I do know that two of the top I mean, Webamyama is transitionally different, but Scoot Henderson's a point guard. And, you know, Brandon Miller is the best wing available, but there are there are probably two or three that are pretty good. And so if they're drafting seventh and you know that, that Henderson, for example, and Webb Miyama go in front of you. Now you're you're really only drafting fifth because you're not necessarily – I mean, Webb and Miyama they would take, obviously. 
but I don't know that Henderson is the position they need. So they have a little bit of a luxury of the fact that a couple people might pick in front of them at positions that the Pacers don't need. And the Pacers have one need. They have, I mean, still, you want to round out your roster, but they have a glaring need in terms of their starting base moving forward. And that's going to be a three and D guy. That That's what they're going to get. Have you seen that video of Trace Jackson Davis at the NBA Combine hitting a couple of threes from NBA distance? Dustin DePurek has it. Well, I, here's the thing. There's no doubt that he wants to be able to show that he can do that. I also think he's got to be able to show that he can score off the dribble from, say, 12 feet. Like if the ball comes to him on a rotation, that he, that he can score right there. Um, being able to do it in a combine workout, I mean, it, it beats the alternative. But he's got to be able to show he can do it in games. I do think that he has played himself – at the end of the year, the Trace Jackson Davis, he has the benefit, and so does Zach Eady, if Zach Eady stays in. They have the benefit of the fact that in people I've talked to, it's not seen as an overly deep draft. So they are going to be considered fairly, when I say safe picks, I mean you've got a pretty good idea of what you're getting. Maybe the ceiling is not as high, but, but neither the floor is not that low. And so I do think that both of them have worked themselves into position to be in life as early as the 26-27 back half of, you know, very late first round, and more than likely early 30s pick, maybe a few behind that if you're ED. But um, Jackson Davis is going to get an opportunity. There's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of hoping that a team with the right fit is the one that selects him. You know, it's not that he he never ran, but I think once he matured into the constantly running the floor, as he did, and beating people down the floor – I think especially, you know, in a a second unit type of of slot, you know, somebody that's coming in against, you know, guys like him, second unit guys like him, I think he's going to be able to run the floor on some folks. I just think it depends on where he goes and, you know, where he's slotted to go, Jake, he's probably going to end up with a pretty decent team and be able to maybe be out there with better players around him, I think that that will give him the opportunity to cover up some of the blemishes while also being able to expand and show off some of the advantages that he has. And and being left-handed, you start right there. Being left-handed screws, I don't care if you're professional, I don't care if you're elementary. Left-handed dudes screw everybody up, especially incredibly athletic left-handed dudes. So I think think he's got an advantage or two in this too. Well, he's got a very good feel for where he is around the basket. I mean, he's got very good footwork around the basket. And again, you know, I I tend to agree with what, Dane Fife had said about a month ago, and that was that people can say all they want that he can't shoot, but he hasn't been asked to shoot. You know, that wasn't his role in Indiana. So it may be that he could – and, you know, I'm, I'll give benefit of the doubt to Trace Jackson Davis. I'm not saying this was the case, but he could have tried to show that he was more versatile in terms of his offensive game and his outside shooting if he wanted to, I'm sure. But I don't know that that's what Indiana needed. You know, I look, when Thomas Bryant was in his last year at Indiana, Tom Crean, I think, allowed for Thomas Bryant to try to show that he could shoot from the outside. And as a result, Indiana's offense, I thought, took a step back because, like, literally, it was Thomas Bryant trying to shoot 25-footers half the time. And that's not what Indiana needed him to do. And I think it hurt Indiana. And if Trace Jackson Davis was going to try to do that, that wasn't what Indiana needed from him. Um, so we'll see whether or not he, he can do it. I just don't think that that's been something he's been asked to do just yet. Yeah, and truth be told, if you're in that setting and you basically score, you know, 60, 65% of the time, Jake, uh, when you're single, probably more than that when you're single covered, probably, you know, you score at that clip when you're double covered. When you can do that, then you're probably not going to jack with too much. The three-pointer. I just think that stands the reason. That's just kind of basketball knowledge right there, right? I hope that he's able to, you know, transition into some sort of a three-point shooter. He wouldn't be the first. I mean, we've we've seen guys be able to do that before, but he just he just did what was of value to him and his team in that setting and where he was going to be best suited to score and score in bunches, which is exactly what he did. So there's no fault there. Yeah, the other thing I think he could do, talking of Trace Jackson Davis, is. In the right system, again, that's key, but 
and, and I know that it's kind of an unfair comparison that anytime there's a guy that's going to be drafted 35th and you want him to be a good player, you compare him to Draymond Green. I mean, that's unfair. But I do think that he can play that kind of a role. And by that, I mean Draymond Green can, can help his team in a lot of different ways. He can facilitate with his passing. He can, you know, run the ball, kind of kind of spread it back out from the post and back out to the perimeter to outside shooters. Jackson Davis, I think, has that kind of a basketball acumen. I mean, I think he's got the quick reactionary time to be able to be more than just simply it's going to go into him and he's going to score. I think he can facilitate for others on the floor. But, again, it's going to be going into a, to a system where that's what they know he can do and, and putting the right people around him where he can do that. think Cody Zeller has an opportunity to be on an NBA title team? I do, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I had said this this morning. I've watched a lot of Miami Heat games, a lot. And I think Eric Spolstra is one of the most underrated coaches in professional sports. And, sure, Miami does not jump out at you. Miami's got a – I think Boston's tremendous, and I think Boston probably will win that series. But you make it into the conference finals, there's a reason for it. And what Miami does better than any of the other teams, in my opinion, still around – is, is Miami can win in various ways. They, they, Miami is like – they literally can be a team that goes out and they are led by Jimmy Butler, or they can be a team that goes out and they are led by going through Bam out of Bayou, or they're a team that goes out and uses those two, those two if they're being shut down and use their outside role-playing shooters, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, even though he's hurt. To, to hit you in different areas and to just be consistent and stay with what they do. I think Miami does what they do and stays true to who they are more than any team in the league, but who they are is really a team with three different looks and their ability to be versatile in those looks makes them difficult over the course of a seven game series. Cause you kind of don't know who you're planning for from one game to the next and that they do better than anybody in basketball. Now, does that mean that they can win two more series? I don't know about that. But but this particular group, and in particular with Spolstra, has continued to win series that they weren't supposed to win. So you would be foolish to say it's impossible. But I would say it, I do think that the way Jason Tatum's playing Boston is going to be really difficult to eliminate. I think Philly's time's up. I think Phoenix and their time is up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, those, I think those are two teams that are really hosed right now. So, yeah, would you suggest that, let's just say, for example, if they have to make substantial changes, do you look at, at Philly's situation with the process? Did that work? No. Uh, Philly has won. Derek Schultz is the one that pointed this out. I'll give him credit. Uh, Philly's been to one conference finals in 38 years. One. Conference finals. And, that, I mean, they went to the finals, obviously, with Iverson. That was it. Um, it the process and accumulate – I mean, they have great players. Embiid's a great player. But, you know, half of the players they got through that, they had to – you know, Ben Simmons is posting pictures, mocking the fact yeah, that – that's lame. That's lame. I mean, you know, what a, what a just – that's sad. That it is, is sad. But, but the process didn't work out. It did not, they're yep. a good team. But half the players – you know, they're, they're – I mean, that's a team that had Jimmy Butler on their roster. I mean, they, they've had some some names come through there. Um, and to not get to a conference finals is is would have to be listed as disappointment. If the Pacers were to draft from Kansas, Grady Dick, would that immediately vault his jersey to the top-selling jersey for the Pacers? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Probably so. <laughs> I guess that maybe it depends on his jersey number. Um, you know what? He can play. I'll say, I watched Grady Dick a lot. I yeah. went to a Kansas game this year. I mean, kidding aside from the name. He is a good player. He can shoot from the outside. Yeah. But I was a little bit concerned about him because I'm not going to say he took plays off. But if he got beat defensively, which he did from time to time, he would kind of sulk offensively and just kind of – very lackadaisically go through the motions. He had a lot of possessions where he looked like Jay Edwards without the just flat-out nature of Jay Edwards being a python that would then strike you when you least expect it. He doesn't look like he can guard you. 
Now yeah. he can he can well, shoot he the can. lights out of it, but part of the issue with this Pacer team and its growth is you've got to find some dudes that can get and stay at least for a second in front of their dude. And in this draft, and in Kansas as a freshman, he didn't look like he's one of them. I would agree with that. I, again, he can he has a quick release and he can shoot uh, the heck out of the ball from the outside. But I think, yeah, I think his la- there are teams that that would be fine. His defense, his defensive deficiency would be okay with certain teams. I don't think it is with Indiana, even though the Pacers did a good job for several years. Of between Sabonis and Turner, Turner obviously is who I'm going with here, protecting the rim and masking the fact that they were allowing easy lanes to the basket. I don't think they want to get back into that arena again because I think that they do like Turner as more than just simply their rim protector and that's it. So I think they're going to prioritize somebody that's better on the wing than Grady Dick. Uh, good job by you guys on the Grand Prix, or as I like to call it, the Grand Prix. And here's hoping for a great week this week, and then obviously next week as well we'll get uh, set for that. So It is my favorite two-week stretch here. It is a blur. There's no doubt yeah. about it. It is the greatest thrill in the world to be able to be on the microphone for the events at that place. We had fun for the Grand Prix, but um, we all get an extra spring in our step. There's no doubt about it for the next two weeks and calling, qualifying, and practice and um, anytime there's car on track, we as the network are carrying it in some capacity, and uh, I love it. It's my favorite two-week stretch of the year. Thanks, Shannon, for singing out loud, as she always does Saturday night. I appreciate that. She does, man. That is our our Saturday ritual. She was uh, singing the babies, right? Going out, that's right. She Whatever song you've got on, she is a um, – Shannon loves the J&B takeover. Who doesn't? Oh, because man. it does remind me of just Saturday nights in the summer and calling in and – the excitement of hearing your name oh, on the radio. Man. I mean, hell, I work on the radio, and, and we get ex- we turn it up when you say our name. You know, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I love I love when she's singing. The Babies, by the way, we were playing on Saturday, too. All right, my brother, I appreciate it. We'll check in later on this week. All right, John, we'll see you.